friends, welcome back to Real Talk with Rachel. I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert, and I am so grateful and honored that you chose to tune in today. This show is a safe place you can come to hear relevant, engaging, and authentic topics to help you get real, live free, and pursue your God-given dreams. Today's guest is the husband of Dr. Cindy Haggerton, who is episode number 27 called Claiming Victory in the Valleys of Life. That episode's in the top three downloads on this show, and for good reason. I wanted to bring her husband, Dr. Jim Bob, on the show to give another perspective of their story. He got very real about their marital struggles, including the affair and his role as the husband. Dr. Jim Bob is one of the most humble men that I know. In fact, I want you to listen to the professional bio that he sent over for the show. He says, I'm just a super blessed guy who's married to a superhero, father to four kids here on earth with one on the way and one who's waiting on him in heaven. He's a chiropractor by training and lover of all things nutrition and physiology, and he's thankful for grace and redemption. Guys, I know that today's episode is a bit longer than usual, but I promise you it's worth every single minute. So let's jump into the conversation I had with Dr. Jim Bob Haggerton. Well, hey, Jim Bob, welcome to the show. Hey, Rachel, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Okay, so before we jump into our conversation, a question I like to ask my interviewees is, what's something I wouldn't read about you in your professional bio? What is something you wouldn't read about me? I don't know. My professional bio, I don't have on there that I grew up on a farm and I used to shoot shotguns professionally. I guess those are random, random facts about me from back in the day. So yeah, that would probably be the ones I'd pick out of that. I love that. And you shot, you shot shotguns professionally. What do you mean by that? Well, like I got paid to do it. So, you know, I traveled all over all the way into college. I started shooting professionally on teams at nine years old and then traveled all over the place until I was, I guess about a, until I got into grad school, actually, and I competed and traveled. And then in grad school, I just didn't have time anymore and all of that, you know, at chiropractic school, as you know, that takes up a ton of time. And so then I dropped it and all that. But yeah, it was a whole, whole fun chapter in my world. And all the guys listening are going, can we just stop and talk about that for the next <laughs> half hour? Like, how'd you get into that? And I want to, how do uh, I? Yeah, I that, know. that's Ran, awesome. Random facts, random facts. I love it. I love I'm not it. as good as I was back then. Everybody's always like, let's go hunting. Let's go do this. I'm like, no, I'm not like I was back then. It's been a while. But yeah, that was fun times. That's cool. I love that. That's, that's a very good fun fact. I like that. Okay, so for the people listening who maybe don't know you and your wife, Cindy, a lot of you listening probably have listened to the episode that I did with Jim. Bob's wife. It was episode number 27. And the title of that show is Claiming Victory in the Valleys of Life. And to date, this podcast has been running almost two years. That episode is the most downloaded of all of the episodes, which is pretty cool. So if you haven't listened to that, I want to encourage you, please go back and listen to it. Then it'll help kind of connect some of the pieces that Jim Bob and I are going to talk about today. So one quick question that I think is also a little bit of a fun fact that somebody asked me on Instagram, what do you want to be when you grew up? Well, the first thing I wanted to be when I grew up was an author. Like I wanted to write books and stuff. That was my number one thing. And then the second thing I wanted to be was an actual professional shooter. Like I wanted to do that as a career. And then the third thing I actually wanted to be when I was in high school, like my, and during high school, I was like, you know what? I really want to go into chiropractic and I want to be a chiropractor. And I had gotten ready for that as a junior in high school even. 
So yeah, I'm pretty much doing what I'd wanted to do as the last one and then get to write and create content and, you know, working on books and stuff like that too, which is exactly the first thing the Lord had really put on my heart way when, way back when I was really young. So have you, have you written a book? I have co-written two books uh, on some essential oil stuff and other uh, business things, but Cindy and I are not yet, we're not in the, in the book writing stage yet on everything else for our story or anything like that. Yeah. Well, that's coming for sure. I see that for you guys. So <laughs> that will be an awesome book for sure. Yeah. And then tell, I, I kind of briefly shared in my episode with Cindy, but just briefly share what you and Cindy do now. You're both chiropractors, which is how my husband and I know you because my husband's a chiropractor, but uh, share what you guys are doing now. Yeah, we're both chiropractors by training. And then after, you know, I'd had, well, after we started having kids, Cindy had come home to stay home full time with the kids after we had Ellie. And then in 2017, after I shattered a femur, I sold my brick and mortar practice. And so now we both work with our Young Living team full time. And then I have a membership site where, you know, I teach health and wellness and functional, you know, functional medicine for people online and do nutritional consults and that kind of thing from home. Awesome. Yeah. And that's you and Cindy are the ones who taught Matt and I so much about, you know, how we've, how we still to this day take care of our kids and vaccines and all the things like uh, everything kind of opposite of what the world teaches. You guys have, have taught us that. And honestly, our kids are so healthy. We get people ask us all the time, how do they never get sick? And I'm like, well, do you really want to know or, or not? You know? So, <laughs> yeah. How much of the story do you really want to get? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So definitely what's, what's that membership website? So people want to check out some of those courses that you offer. It's drjimbob.com and doctor is spelled out. So, and it's a bunch of like, I've got, you know, four or five courses on there now on, you know, adrenal fatigue and adrenal health or, you know, goal setting and detoxification and, got another one on cholesterol in there. And so it was just a way for me to be able to organize all the stuff that I taught online into one central location for people to be able to get into. And so we kind of launched that last fall, actually. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm a huge fan of online courses. I do that as well. And yeah, so you guys listening, if you're interested in his resources, definitely check it out. Or that link will be in the show notes because I can attest to everything that they put out is totally on point and worth looking into. But we're not talking about that today. So I just want to make sure they know, though, that you guys are somebody I look up to in this area and want them to go check all that out. We are going to talk about your major health valley. So when I interviewed Cindy, we talked about some valleys that you guys have been through. And, you know, I think if people met you or they just now are meeting you and they just got introduced to you and went and followed you on Instagram, they might look at you guys and go, wow, (laughs) they're just, you know, living their best life. Like that must be nice. You know, if they didn't know any of your story, because you guys are very blessed in multiple ways, you know, your marriage is awesome. Your kids are awesome. Your business is awesome. Like all the things, but people have not always seen those valleys and some of the things right. you guys have walked through. And, and that's really um, that the Lord has just blessed you guys for going through those valleys. And you have not lost your faith in the Lord through those valleys. You know, if anything, right. obviously it just made it stronger. I think I could definitely say that just by watching you guys. So while I do want to get to the the health struggle you walked through, I know some of the listeners who listened to Cindy's story, they were kind of like, Oh, we'd like to hear Jim Bob's side of things too. And one thing I loved when I interviewed Cindy is she actually said, I think when I interviewed her, you were traveling. Otherwise, you both would have been there. But she said, you know, I have permission from Jim Bob to share all these things, which is always so important to me, especially in a a marriage that, you know, we we obviously have each other's permission, but that we always lead with that. So I know whatever we're going to talk about today 
I'm assuming you also have Cindy's permission, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, I told her this was what I was going to be doing this morning. She was like, go to it, man. Tell yeah. your story. So yeah, we're good. Yeah. Okay. So so she talked about that. She actually brought up that you were both really prideful in your early years. So from a man's perspective, I'd like to know what areas did you struggle with pride? Oh, man, it's more what areas did I not struggle with pride in the early part of our marriage, really. And I and I think until you really get knocked down a notch and until life kicks you in the teeth, you don't really realize the areas that you're so prideful in. I mean, it's kind of like with kids. I mean, we joke all the time about, you know, how refining every single kid is and how we figure out how selfish we are every kid we have because they show us another area that we don't want to let go of. Well, in our early marriage, especially and early on in practice, I mean, you know, we, we got into practice really early and we were really young. We got married really young and everything really went well. I mean, like our practice blew up. Everything was really successful, like we were rocking. And so, you know, I feel like on my end of it, I fell into the trap like a lot of people do of like, man, I'm awesome. Like, look at this. Like, this is all going good because I'm so awesome. And not that we didn't acknowledge that God was great in it, but there was this this underlying vein of uh, look how good we're doing, you know, the whole time. And I think a lot of that came out of woundings I had as a kid. A lot of that was just the codependency that she and I had on each other of needing that extra affirmation instead of going, you know, to the Lord for, for our value on it. It was literally like, I would come home, like, well, guess what I did at the office all day, even when she's out and she's like, okay, well, guess what I did all day, you know, and it was that all the time. So I don't know, like that was, that was one thing. And I think we really got into a, a rut of comparing and competing on the prideful thing for, you know, all the stuff we were doing, because, you know, to be fair, Cindy, you know, and, and all of our patients that end up listening to this and our all our older patients that have come to us, they will laugh about this. But Cindy was definitely the more loved doctor in the office. I mean, let's be real. Like all of the patients loved her more than me. And I'll totally <laughs> say that. And so it wasn't like, you know, she didn't 100 percent get what I did. It wasn't better at the job than I was even. And so there was just a lot of stuff in there that, you know, we dealt with and, and worked out. But I think a lot of it was just the pride of like the success of it and pride of being able to handle a lot of things and just where we were and the things that we were doing. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, both when I interviewed Cindy and then now doing it, I always get really convicted when I talk to you guys in a good way, because I think that's such the, almost the American dream, if you will. We all get on that hamster wheel of going, 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 and our marriage just gets so neglected and you don't even realize it. You know, it's like, like you said, when you do connect, it's to tell each other all your accomplishments and all this. And it's like, so just not a healthy well, way yeah, I mean, to I mean, It was kind of like a whole thing of like, we got so busy and and we were running multiple businesses. We had like seven businesses at one time. We were doing all this stuff. And our marriage was so, quote unquote, easy because we just understood each other and we agreed with everything. And, you know, we agreed down to the color of the walls, you know, in the house. It wasn't a big deal. That kind of thing that we literally were so prideful about. Oh, it doesn't matter. We totally are on the same page that I mean, it, it is true. Like the only times that we really were connecting were for me to go, hey, look what how awesome I did. And hey, do you want to have sex tonight? You know, it was like that kind of thing of literally just disconnecting that got worse and worse and worse over time. Yeah. Yeah. So with Cindy, one of the first valleys that her and I talked about was marriage was I would, if I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, your marriage struggle was the first valley, big major valley. We're talking, obviously we all have lots of other valleys we walk through in life, but that you two went through together. So I would love to know what was the turning point for you and your marriage struggles and, and what you guys walked through. The turning point, meaning like for it to turn bad or to turn good? Like which, which way are we? 
Oh, let's I mean, like, do- where did it shift when things went south or where did it shift when things got better? I'd love to hear both, actually. Okay. Well, I think that, you know, so when we went into our major marriage valley pit, you know, that we went into back in 2011, you know, Elliot had been born in Christmas of 2010, right? So we have Ellie and that was like a mountaintop experience. Like Ellie's birth was redemptive. It was amazing. Like everything was awesome. And then after that, again, I was so... I don't know what you call it, conceded on the point of like needing Cindy to affirm me so much that after that, she went into a whole period of what I really think was postpartum depression. I mean, I think to now looking back, we both are like, you know, I think you really went through postpartum depression, but I didn't see it. I didn't acknowledge it. And I wasn't sensitive to it. And so the further down the hole, she kind of got and got closed into the house. And, you know, again, she's losing more identity, not being in the office. Well, instead of really acknowledging that and really like being, you know, super supportive of that and standing by her, well, I just like needed more and more and more from her and was like more and more, I don't know, like it just went the other way. So there was probably, there was a certain point in the summer of 2011 that I think it really kind of like snapped and just went off for me, but it was more of like a gradual fade of, well, you're not listening to me and you don't care about me and you know, you're not even paying attention to me and, you know, blah, 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 that whole thing. Uh, and that whole selfish side of like, well, you're not speaking my love language, even though I wasn't trying to speak hers at all and wasn't trying to pour in. But yeah, everything kind of came to a head in the summer when we were on a vacation. But I mean, the, the whole part of the turn was just kind of a gradual lack of, you know, lack of care, honestly, on my part, those first few months of 2011. Yeah, I love you said a phrase in there called it was a gradual fade. Isn't that the truth? Right. You know, nobody yeah. wakes up one day and says, you know what? I think I, I would like to throw my marriage down the drain. Yeah, it I'd is, love to have an affair. I yeah. who's available today. Yeah, let's do that. Nobody yeah, starts a, there. No, it's very no, no. gradual. So I love that you highlighted that. Also, I would love to hang out just for a second on, there are a lot of people listening I know who can identify with post-baby how a woman just shoot. You know what? We're not even going to say post baby. I'm, I'm not post baby and I still have times in my, my woman hormonal cycles where you just don't feel like yourself. Something's off, you know, right. which is why I love the courses you teach because you're, you know, teaching people to figure out what, what's off, you know, let's figure this out. Can you speak to that marriage wife relationship? Maybe even to the men that would be listening as well, that if their wife is going through something like that, the mindset around that or how does it be supportive or I don't know, any, any warning signals, whatever you want to share with that. Sure. Well, you know, I would definitely say so now that we are professional therapy goers, because we've been to so much marriage counseling, right? There's like these acronyms that we use all the time. And that I'd literally run through my head all the time. If something happens with Cindy, meaning like if she snaps at me or is disrespectful or something happens and I want to react to it, then there's this thing in my mind, literally every day, something when I go and, and we use halt is one, it's H-A-L-T. And we literally go, okay, is she hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? And if it's any of those things, then you got to give them grace and you just walk off. And it's like, and then we just let it lie, right? If she's acting outside of her character, right? And then uh, for Cindy, then the other sides for me that I go through is, okay, is she grieving? Like, because things will come up even uh, uh, even now, on losing Evans and since we lost our son and one day if she's not acting like herself, because I know how Cindy acts, if she's not acting like herself, 
then it could be that she could be grieving again. Something could be coming back up. And so I go for that one. And then if all of those are all equal, then I go, okay, well then her hormones might be off, you know, and she's pregnant right now. So that's obviously a thing. And I'm like, Oh, her hormones are off. But even, you know, when she's not her post baby or any time in a woman's, um, you know, lifespan around their hormonal cycles or anything, I just really feel like the thing I tell guys all the time, because I mentor a lot of guys now is I'm like, well, I'm like two things. Number one is you just got to assume she didn't mean it. Mm-hmm. Like instead of assuming she did and going straight for the jugular of, Hey, why'd you say that? That was blah, 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 blah. It's like, Hey, just assume she didn't mean it and assume that there's something else going on and either, you know, she's frustrated, she's tired, her hormones are off. She didn't sleep good last night. She was nursing a baby all night. She just delivered a baby four weeks ago, like her hormones are something. But I think we just were so used to, and especially because, you know, Cindy is a high performer. I mean, she's like always doing stuff and she's high energy and crushing stuff all the time. I think back then my thing I really fell down on was just going, what the heck's your problem? Like you're fine. And you've pushed through kidney stones and worked in the office. Like let's do this, you know? And instead of going, no, something else is going on and backing up and assuming and, and assuming the opposite, like something else has to be underlying or she wouldn't act like this because that's just not her heart. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you say about, you know, cause here's the thing, obviously we know, like you said, every woman goes through, you know, some kind of something where they're just not themselves. And at the same time, and men do too as well, but at the same time, men have a very real need for sex. You know, it's like a man's number, right. number two need honors first and then sex. So how do you come together on that then so that your marriage is, you know, a fair proof and divorce proof in those tough seasons? Sure. I think the communication factor is the biggest thing and just knowing each other and knowing each other's needs because, you know, different people, men and women have different sex needs. Like their, their drive is different and how often they need to have sex and how often they need to connect. And honestly, most of the time for men, they obviously need sex and it is a neurological and an actual hormonal, you know, total reset for them. But the frequency of how much they need it more depends on how connected they feel you know, as a couple than it does actually the physical act of it. So, you know, I think it's just really communication. And the thing that we did not do well at all back in 2010 and 2011, but specifically 2011 was we just didn't communicate about it in a way that was safe. Meaning like if we communicated about it, we were fighting about it. Mm -hmm. Like I was beating her down about, well, it's been three weeks since we've had sex. What's the matter with you? Like that kind of thing, instead of hey, what's going on? Because it's been this long. So I know that there's got to be something going on with you. And how can I help you? What do you need from me? And being able to serve because I think it the thing that affair proofs your marriage more than anything is you focusing 100% of yourself on making sure that your spouse can be 100% of who they're called to be more than focusing everything on getting what you want right out of the relationship. And so in that season of this of, of where we were, Honestly, I can honestly say I didn't think about what she needed hardly at all. That was where I was in such this, this jacked up place and it drifted away and was so kind of on my own. And I was in the office by myself and all the stuff. And we had just really lost connection and all the things that we had in common. And But I think communicating on it and then if you can't communicate on it, I mean, counseling is awesome. And it's going to somebody and going, hey, how do we work this out? And what's a compromise on this so that it's not like the wife's like, OK, here, I'm just going to give it to you so that you'll stop asking. And it becomes like this chore for her, which was never meant to be. 
so that they actually enjoy it. It actually builds up their marriage, but that they don't go through this drought. You know what I mean? That's one. But then I also think just proper expectation. I mean, I think, I think culture sets up this so jacked up expectation of how much you're supposed to have sex anyways, that, you know, you have a baby and you're expecting to be able to have sex in a week and a half when the, you know, the midwife or the doctor or whoever you're working with is not even going to tell you that you're cleared to have sex for two months. So it's like proper expectation of, Hey, we're going to have grace for this. We're going to talk through it, but we're also going to safeguard, you know, the relationship on the side of, Hey, it's going to be six weeks before we can have sex. So if you're mentally struggling, you got to come tell me, like, you got to let me know. And, you know, it's got to be a safe place for him to be able to say something or for her to say something back kind of thing. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that communication is so key because it becomes this vicious cycle. Like you said, when we're a lot of times we see people just be passive aggressive with each other, right? Right. Like what you mentioned, why haven't you, you know, and it's like, you're not just point blank coming, you know, coming in and saying, you know, what's going on. And so for a woman to have her husband be passive aggressive to her makes her like that much more not want to have sex with him you know it's like oh, yeah. oh really i really don't want yeah, to you're not wooing her at all <laughs> no I mean, definitely yeah all. it's getting us nowhere so you know when i talked to cindy i loved how she said you know you guys when it comes to your marriage story you don't always share all the details of it because that's really not the part the part that's powerful is that is that god restored it and he's redeemed it and everything and so she mentioned that there came a breaking point where there was some infidelity in the marriage and um right. do you do you want to share anything on like what led up to that or any part, any piece of the story maybe that she didn't share? Sure. I mean, the one thing I will share about that is, well, two things. Number one is it could happen to anybody. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that we were super prideful about is that, hey, our marriage is easy and we're awesome and we go to church and we're Christians and that kind of stuff just wouldn't happen in our world. And that's just a lie because the enemy can get into anybody's camp and can tear anything up. So now that we're on this side of it and, you know, work with a lot of couples and mentor different couples through it and helping them heal from it, the people that have walked through it, you would you wouldn't be shocked because you've talked to a lot of people, but most people would be really shocked because they'd be like, Oh my gosh, I would never in a million years have thought they would struggle with this or this couple would go through this or that kind of thing. And I think that's why people get so shocked when like a pastor falls to, you know, to infidelity or something, because they're like, Well, that's crazy. Isn't he totally protected? We're like, no, actually he's like more vulnerable because he's in a place of, you know, of honor and stuff. So So that's one thing. The other thing is, you know, in 2011, when that slow fade happened and we got to a point where we were so disconnected that both of us were really like on opposite teams. We weren't on the same team. We weren't talking that much. Uh, We definitely weren't having sex. Like we weren't like we just were not connected in any way. She wasn't in the office, so I didn't see her all day long. By the time I came home, she was exhausted because she had two little kids. She wasn't excited to see me. I wasn't excited to be there. Like it was just a mess. You know, there was a there was a two week period in there where like people say all the time, they're like, oh, well, what was the transition time? Like, how long did it go from you guys are, quote unquote, fine and married to the time of when an affair started? And it literally took less than two weeks for that to all transpire, because, you know, like if, if you have a garden and you know, I grew up farming and ranching, right? My mom had this giant garden. If we had the garden and the garden wasn't already planted with things that we were going to harvest, like okra and squash and all that, and we left the garden open, then weeds would grow. It was just something that happened. And it would grow quickly. Like it was like, oh, we walked out there and then three days later, there were weeds in there. And we were never shocked about that. But then in our marriages, like we won't plant anything good in our marriage and you won't plant good seed. You won't like work on anything really worthwhile. And then all of a sudden, 
something comes up that's major and everybody's like, oh my gosh, like, how did that happen? And how did that happen so quick? Well, I mean, you're constantly, I mean, there's constantly an opportunity to do the wrong thing on the other side. So it was a two week turnaround in July of 2011, where we went from, hey, we're quote unquote, just making it and surviving and everything is quote unquote fine. Like the merit, you know, the American equivalent of fine to, you know, me getting into an affair with her supposed best friend, you know, and it was all on opportunity and brokenness and us just not communicating. So I think that's one thing, you know, I, I talk to guys a lot about that are, you know, have not had affairs, but they'll say stuff like, oh, we're not talking to each other. We're not even sleeping in the same bedroom. And then before they say something else, I'm like, whoop. I'm like, hey, I'm like, let's talk about that. Because I'm like, if you're literally so disconnected that you won't even stay in the same bedroom with your wife, and it has nothing to do with like a medical issue or you have little kids or anything. It just literally is like, well, I don't want to sleep in the same bedroom. Like you have to handle that stuff because little things will turn into big things quickly, like really quickly. Yeah. I love that you touched on that. Cause I was actually going to bring that up when you mentioned that you guys were disconnected. And I think the second that you become to that, come to that place where you disconnected, it's the enemy's territory at that point. Like anything goes, you know, cause you're just, oh, both, yeah. you're both out there on your own essentially. And then the enemy, he knows our vulnerabilities. He knows our weaknesses and he's going to swoop in so quick because what if you get reconnected? He wouldn't want to miss that window, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> while you're Absolutely. not connected to each other. In fact, that's oftentimes when people end up divorcing or whatever, you know, and sometimes it comes as a shock. What we know is that they've been, they have, they divorced that person in their mind and their heart a long time ago, you know? So Absolutely. it was like you guys had gone into that gradual, you know, fade, like you mentioned. And so you already had, you know, quote unquote, divorced each other at that point in your heart, yeah. you know? And yeah, so we just... emotionally divorced each other back in the spring. Yeah. yeah absolutely. That year. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think there's probably two camps of people listening today. One camp would say, oh man, this really convicts me. I want to make sure our marriage doesn't get to that place. What would you say, or maybe a couple like big, you, you mentioned one just a second ago, like if you're sleeping in separate rooms, what are some big red flags that we should all be aware of looking for so we don't get to that place in our marriage? You know, that's one that seems like a simple thing, but it is a, a really big thing, just the connection of it. Because I mean, to be real sciencey and geeky about it, like being able to touch your spouse releases dopamine, right? Like, like just being able to touch them, not even having sex with them, like like just being able to be near them and put your hand on their back while you're sleeping in bed or them hugging you in the morning, out, you know, before breakfast, like it releases dopamine, which bonds you to them, like connects you with them, which is why when we have new babies, we hold them so much because we're creating an actual neurochemical bond with that new human being, right? So if you are not like, if you don't have a really healthy touch life, not even sex life, like, like you're not able to be affectionate with your spouse, that's the problem. And because there's wounding, I mean, we just had a, some friends of ours, you know, they didn't make it and got divorced this last year. And a lot of the stuff that came out was her woundings of old abuse as a kid had came up that she would never let him touch her. Not even like, oh, we're not having sex. I mean, they had like six kids, but it was like, not even hold my hand. Don't touch me on the shoulder. Don't rub my shoulders. Don't hug me. And different people have different love language, but like just being able to affectionately show your spouse you love them. If you can't do that, that's a problem, right? And that's something to work on. You know, the bed thing is huge. I think, I think the, the biggest factor really is that if you constantly cannot agree on anything and you constantly cannot connect and come to a middle ground on things that even don't matter. Yeah. I mean, like, let's talk about like what to eat for dinner. I mean, never, ever, ever agreeing on anything little, the little things turn into big things later on. And then for Cindy and I, I mean, the thing I tell people all the time is that 
I was not a safe place for Cindy to tell me anything, right? Like we're totally different personalities, even though we're both really type A. So she bottles things up for a long time and she may hold on to something for two or three weeks and then she's going to explode about it. Whereas I talk about stuff all the time. I'm like constantly, you know, outputting everything and she doesn't want to hear it. And then I don't want to hear it in an explosion. So we had to get to a point where every time she would explode because she needed to talk, I would just get mad and I would go off on her and I wouldn't support her in it. And so it wasn't safe for her. So she just stopped communicating to me. And on the other side, if I brought up stuff and I wanted to talk to her, she would totally shut me off and would tell me to leave her alone kind of thing. It would literally give me the stiff arm. And so I just quit talking to her. And then, you know, opportunity showed up and I started talking to someone else. And that's where stuff kind of spirals down because you're like, wow, this person really gets me. Well, of course they do. Like they're on the outside looking in. They're not picking up your dirty underwear every day. You know, they're not, they're not, you know, feeding your kids and cleaning up your bathroom and, you know, helping iron your shirts and all of the stuff, you know, they're not doing any of that. Of course they understand hundred percent of what you, what you need to hear that kind of thing. And so the communication thing is huge and people are like, oh, we fight all the time and it's fine. And, you know, being able to communicate and fight is one thing, never agreeing and never having a place to come to, to really, really talk out things. That's not healthy. And that's a problem, you know? Yeah. Oh, you're saying so many golden nuggets here. I hope that people listening, I hope you're in a place where you can <laughs> write these things down. So um, I, I love all of this. And, you know, also, I just want to say intermittently here, thank you for just sharing some some of this stuff. It's super vulnerable things that you're sharing. And I know it is setting people free from hearing this because more people, just like you said, more people have walked through this kind of stuff in marriage than we'll ever know, you know, and, right. and that's okay. Not everybody feels led to share their story and all of that. That's okay. But the other camp of person listening today, you know, so there's some of us who, who have not walked through an affair in our marriage, but we would love to avoid it at all costs, you know, so we're, we're gleaning information. And then there's other people listening today who have walked through the affair thing. And we right. don't know, I don't know where they are. Maybe they just discovered it. Maybe this is new. Maybe it's 10 years ago, but they're still carrying the weight of it. And I would love to hear, you know, you mentioned earlier, which side the, the turning point do I want to hear? So we've come to the point where, you know, you shared that, you know, you guys found yourself in this place and affair happened. What then was the turning point that you both decided, wait a second, we want to, we want to fight for our marriage? Well, Cindy came to that point way before me, you know, so to the couples where one of the spouses is, you know, having an affair, most of the time I will tell you the person not having the affair, obviously will be the person that wants to fix things first. And because the other person is in the middle of, you know, it's like how to describe it, you know, like. Instead of eating a really healthy meal, if you lay 50 Hershey's bars in front of me and a bunch of candy and just junk food and nasty stuff, I mean, it tastes great in the moment of eating it. And I'm going to eat all of that because that's awesome. I don't want to eat broccoli and grilled chicken. You know what I mean? But then later on, it's going to make me sick and it's going to really mess up my health and it's going to cause a lot of disease and issues. And it's probably going to give me diabetes, right? Like, I mean, that's just a long-term deal. Well, they're in the middle of candy land uh, mm-hmm. and they're in the middle of like crazy mental, like I was so mentally disconnected and so like just absent, absent emotionally and mentally that, you know, once the Lord had really changed my heart and I came back and was ready to re-engage and heal and ready to come back, you know, to sending the kids, I literally walked in the house. It was so, it was so crazy, Rachel, where I walked in the house and I'll never forget this. And I went, how long has that light been out? And she was like, well, like eight months. And I was like, man, why is the the foundations cracking right here? Did you know this? And she goes, yeah, Jabob. She goes, that's been cracking for like six months. And there were like stuff like that, like that I literally never saw. Mm. 
and I was there every day. Like I slept in that bed, but didn't realize that things were broken, like literal things by me. And I think it was just a, a like a literal prophetic depiction of the fact that I couldn't see the things spiritually broken in me. And there was so much stuff going on. And so those people literally are out of their mind. Like that's literally, I, I mean, when they say, you know, like uh, Denzel Washington and, and remember the Titan says, boy, you must be outside your mind. Like that's literally it, you're outside your freaking mind in that situation. And so, you know, that's one thing I would totally say, but in that whole thing about like what brought it around, Cindy was really ready to heal and was like, Oh my God, something is wrong. She really decided and figured out, Oh my gosh, something's wrong about November of 2011. Okay. The affair started around July, 2011, around November, 2011. Cindy was like, Holy crap, something's really wrong. Like she finally was like, and this is how disconnected we were. She didn't even realize something was wrong until July, August, September, October, four months went by. Wow. Um, yeah. And I, by this time, I'm like way in. And I'm like so far in that I had already, you know, set up plans to divorce her, marry this other woman and leave. Like we already had plans set up. Like everything was already mapped out. So in November, she, she freaked out. But I was like, no, I'm done. You know, December, I remember telling her I wanted a divorce on Christmas Day in 2011. And she was like fighting but was just like grasping and desperate fighting. Well, then in the spring of 2012, she really like, instead of being desperate, was like, what am I doing? And got poured into by some really amazing mentors and literally just like completely submitted herself to the Lord and was like, you know what? I'm not going to change his heart. I'm not going to do any of this. And I'm literally going to pray him back in if this is going to happen at all. And she just shifted. And I remember distinctly, I was waiting for her to fight every day because it validated what I wanted. Like it validated that I was making her out to be crazy. And so when I came home in the middle of this affair, every day I came home and she was a lunatic, I was like, score. Like that was mm. one point for me. Right. And so I would do more things to literally set her off because then I could be like, see, like you're just, you're crazy and you're not giving me what I need and blah, 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 blah. This is a total messed up scenario. So in the spring, I distinctly remember I was sitting down. I came back in from from work or something. I can't remember where I was, but I came in for lunch. Cindy had fixed me lunch. I mean, why you would do that? No idea. She fixed me lunch. I'm sitting down to eat and Cindy comes up and she's standing on my left-hand side right here as I'm eating. And I was like, yes. Like I was like, I was a total jerk. This whole thing, super emotionally abusive. And I like, you know, yelled at her like, what do you want? And, and she goes, she said, I don't know what's going on with you. I remember this distinctly. She goes, I don't know what's going on with you. She goes, I don't know if you're having an affair. I don't know if you have a brain tumor. She goes, I don't know what's, because I was so different and I just changed. She goes, I don't know what it is. She goes, but I'm going to tell you, I'm not leaving. I'm not signing divorce papers. I'm not going anywhere. And this in the spring, she goes, so if I have to live in a loveless hell marriage the rest of my life to show my kids that they could push through this, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm not going anywhere. I don't care what you do. Mm. And I was like, and I sat there and in the moment I was like, nah, she's full of it. There's no way I'm going to, cause I was going to make her crack and I was going to make her file for divorce because I was going to run her into the ground so hard. But when she said that she literally, it was just a totally different person. And shortly after that, she found out through texting apps and stuff that I was having an affair. She just didn't know with who. And so she asked me to move out and I'm living in another place. Well, then when I came back into the house, she, the Lord had literally done so much work in her that I walked in the house and up to this point, Cindy, and I'm going to say this and Cindy knows I'm going to tell you this. Cindy's an amazing mom an amazing housekeeper and everything else. So I say all that first in this season though, 
up until this point, our house was a mess. It was literally a depiction of our marriage. Our house was a wreck every day. Everything was trash. Nothing was ever done. And I didn't help her figure out systems to do it because I literally was letting it be another reason why I was throwing, you know, throwing shade on her. So I remember walking in, I came over to the house to see the kids because we literally had set up like visitation and I'm living in this other, this townhouse. And I came over and I walked in and the house was immaculate. Like, I mean, like, like almost like she sold everything. It was so immaculate, like a, like a model home. And I was like, Whoa. And I, and I literally stopped because there was this doubt in my mind of like, maybe I made a mistake. Hmm. Like maybe I, I'm not right about her, uh, what I'm saying. And I remember walking in the house and I made some comment. Like I, I made a real snide comment about what you do have somebody come clean your house for you kind of thing. And, and she didn't react and she didn't overreact. She didn't respond. She just goes, no, she goes, you know, she goes, I just realized that, you know, I don't need you to be happy. And um, I wanted my kids to have a really stable house, whether you're here or not. And it, the Lord had literally just shifted her whole brain and that started cracking this glass house, you know, that I had built up in it. But, you know, my change didn't happen until the summer. You know, I didn't really shift. I was still in the middle of it because, you know, the other woman had gotten pregnant. She was due in, I think it was June of that year. And, you know, I was, you know, led to believe it was mine. So I literally was like, oh, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm I'm going to like, I'm stuck in this thing, right? And so I didn't really shift and I didn't get a whole mindset change until July when we were back in Florida. And so it was that whole, that whole season of it. Wow. Woo, I'm over here in tears. Okay, so before we move on, I do just want to clarify the baby ended up not being yours, correct? Right. Yeah, right, just exactly. for the listener's sake, they'll be like, wait, what? <laughs> no. Yeah, um, yeah so... Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, something I wrote down again, there was way too much gold in that to re- regurgitate everything. But one thing I wrote that you said, Cindy said was that she's, was she decided to pray you back in. We could just yeah. in there. Like I yeah. wish more par- marriages and people knew this. There's so much power in prayer and how it shifts the atmosphere of things. That's literally what she did. And by her praying you back in, it gave the Lord a chance to, like you said, do something in her heart. And she was able to love you unconditionally like God does. And that's just such a powerful, such a powerful thing. Wow. Okay. I don't even know where to go from here because I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so good. Thank you for sharing that. Again, I just know... I just know people listening are going, oh my gosh, we're not alone or, you know, whatever. And I really get the sense that there's going to be some people listening to this that are in the thick of it. So what would be, before we move on from here, trying to figure out how to move on from here, because it's just like, wow, seeing, (laughs) I mean, just seeing the hand of God in all that. And and I love too the part you said about, you know, and Cindy even mentioned this, that she thought you had a brain tumor and she was convinced to that. And just like you said, it kind of is like, you know, like you had a spiritual brain tumor, like yeah. just this thing, this growth just took over and, and, you know, made you do things that are out of character, out of, you know, alignment with who you normally are and the way you think and just completely shifted your mindset. So that's so powerful. But for somebody who may be walking through the thick of something like this, what would be some encouragement maybe you have for them? You know, I think if anything, our story literally tells everybody that there's never a point that's too far gone for God to fix it, you Mm, know, like, mm -hmm. but it definitely takes at least one of you fighting to the point of just nail scratching on the wall to, you know, to keep the marriage together. But in order for it to really heal, I mean, both of you have to really come back together and go, no, we want to fix this, you know, And, and that's the thing that we've really seen, you know, that's a difference in a lot of the marriages and whether they make it or not. But, you know, for those of 
of you that are listening that are in the middle of it, the thing I would just say is, man, I totally get it. Like we totally get just the depravity of it and the hopelessness in it. That's the thing, just the hopelessness of we're never going to get this back and we're never going to get back to where we were and I can never forgive him or I can never forgive her or I can never love her again or you know, all of those things that come up, which is just totally attack from the enemy of trying to keep you away, you know, it can all be restored. And then some, if you both just work really hard. Mm, so good. And uh, that's been what, nine years ago now, eight years ago? Uh, yeah, it started, it'd be eight and a half years ago. And so, you know, the healing time on it, when we finally, <clears throat> in counseling talk, we call it discovery day. Like when you go, Hey, babe, I got to tell you something. I'm having an affair, which no one ever wants to hear. That is, we call it D-Day, Discovery Day, when you reveal something, whatever. That's what we call it, right? So our initial Discovery Day was, you know, in like May of 2012. Well, if you don't reveal all of it, this is another thing I would tell people that are in the middle of it. If you're ready to get out of it and you're ready to you're ready to come clean and really fix things, then, then just come clean on everything. Like tell them everything and just lay everything on the table and then they have a choice and they get a full uh, pass to do whatever they want. They may walk out. They may leave you. You may get a divorce anyway. The, the point of restoration is more for the fact that you can be who God called you to be and you can be whole again, whether or not the marriage makes it right. I mean, at this point, the damage is done. Now we're trying to repair it. Um, but the problem comes in is when people have truth, it. they go, and this is what I did. I was like, yeah, you found that I'm having an affair. You're right. And I literally created this whole story about who it was and even went to counseling with Cindy for months, for like three months when it wasn't her at all. It was, this, it was her friend, this other girl, and we were still having an affair. Um, and so at the day that was our literal like discovery day final, you know, this is this is all of it was I think it was like July 8th, 2012, that exact day. And that was the day when I told her everything. And we really we really started healing from there. I love that you know the exact date because that's how you know that yeah. it was for real in your heart. You know, like you can yeah, remember. Well that, the- <laughs> I mean, the day I remember distinctly the day that the Lord completely like shattered this whole false sense of security, if you want to call it that, in where I was going was literally it was July 4th in Florida. It was Independence Day, which I thought was super prophetic and it was super uh, symbolic because I was on the beach. We were in Florida and we had taken our whole staff. We took like 18 or 20 people to Florida. I literally paid like $40,000 of money we didn't have to fly people there just to keep people's focus off of how horrible we were doing. So we get down there and Cindy's back at the house and I'm on the beach with Harper and Ellie. We just had two at the time and Harper was um, not quite four. Ellie was, you know, two and a half, you know, not quite three. And we're on the beach and they're little and I'm, and I remember Harper had his little uh, life jacket on. He's kind of playing in the uh, in the water on the shallow side right here on the beach. And then uh, Ellie is laying down and I'm, I'm burying her in the sand. Like I'm putting sand on her legs and stuff like that. And I remember the Lord distinctly saying like in the moment, I'm like, it was like the third or fourth bucket dump on Ellie. It was like someone turned the light on in a dark room for me. Like all of a sudden when I dumped it on her, I saw it all. Like I saw all of it, like all of the pain and all of the destruction and all of the thing. And I remember the Lord distinctly saying, if you don't stop and you don't go tell city everything, I will bury your legacy. Whoa. Like I will bury it and I will bury you. And I just lost it on wow. the beach. And, but you know, and at the same time, Cindy was finding in the, in the house while we were there, she was finding all these chats and figuring out that I was still in the middle of an affair, even though we'd been going to counseling. And so, you know, that's when we really, it all came to a head. You know, we started healing and we came back, we flew home early 
from Florida from our team event and then uh, went straight into counseling and working with mentors and, you know, started healing and doing all the work we needed to do. Yeah. And one of the reasons, so at the time you had two kids, right? Right. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I, you know, asked you like how the timeline of it was not so we can be private investigators over here, but so that people can see you guys on the other side of things. So I love when I talked to Cindy, she mentioned, I think there's a hashtag that's something like we would have missed this, right? Right. Yeah. So, so you guys decided we're going to fight for this. We want God to restore this. You came clean. You did, you know, all the things that God was telling you to do. So where are you now? What are the things you would have missed if you had not fought for your marriage? Oh man, all of it. (laughs) We would have missed so many things. I mean, even if we would have stayed married, but hadn't fought to heal, like Mm -hmm. that's one thing that people do a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, we had some friends that we literally just mentored them through healing and I had found out he had had an affair six years previously and they had never done counseling, never done work on it, nothing. And they were just living in bitterness and hatred. Like they were just hating each other, but mm. they were married. And so they were like, we made it. I'm like, but it, did you really make it? Like, did yeah. you really make it? Uh, or are you just literally living in the most unhealthy place? And so we really worked with them and they did a lot of counseling work and now they're doing amazing because they've healed. Right. So, and one thing I would say about that, Rachel, is there's a resource of a a group in Austin, Texas. It's an online counseling group that I literally love. And it was one of the the groups that taught me so much and brought me back from just all of this distorted thinking. And it's uh, affairrecovery.com. Okay. And so if you go to affairrecovery.com, I know Gateway does a lot of their marriage 911 is off of their off of their curriculum and a bunch of churches use their stuff, but they have emergency, they call them emergency EMS weekends, emergency marriage seminars that are two day intensives for couples that are in the middle of the, of the fire. So that you come there and they're like, okay, let's triage this. And then let's get you on a path to really heal. Because I don't don't think people really understand when they talk to us now and they're like, Oh my gosh, you guys have a great marriage. This is awesome. Your kids are amazing. And you guys are loving life. We're like, yeah, that, that came after, a lot of hell and a lot of healing. I mean, it was like a lot of stuff, but they don't realize that after an affair, you know, you're looking at a healing time of three to five years, Mm. like the actual healing time to heal. um, As far as counseling world goes is three to five years, right? Well, most people stop doing counseling in six months or they're remarried if they got divorced from it in a year in less than a year. And you just carry the same stuff into another marriage and the same baggage somewhere else. But, you know, we were, we were blessed to have really good mentors that pressed into us and that held us, held us to the iron, you know, like, no, you're, you like, like literally, I, I just feel like they're pushing us up at the wall. Like, no, you're, you're staying in this. And we really committed to all the counseling and did stuff for years. I mean, we, we literally did counseling for the next, I mean, it was two and a half, three years, almost constantly until we really would say that triggers weren't a thing and we weren't triggering all day long up until like even up to three years past the affair, you know, me and Cindy went back into counseling with, you know, a counselor that we had met. And when we were sitting down with this counselor, the counselor, she said, Hey, Cindy, you know, in this house, you're living or whatever, how many times a day do you trigger? Meaning like, does it take you back to that time? And you feel the same emotion of all that. And she literally said, she goes, I don't know. Like I trigger at least once every five to 10 minutes. Wow. And I was like all day long. I had no idea. I was like all day long. And I wasn't because I'm like dunked my whole heart out. I'm like, you know, doing all this healing. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, you know, so I'm like feeling great. And she's like, yeah, she goes, it triggers me every second of every day. And this is early 2014. We hadn't even walked through losing Evans yet. We were pregnant with Evans at the time. And 
So I literally was like, well, let's quit that. So we sold a house and sold like all of our things that had anything to do with that time period just to erase all of these triggers. Then we took a trip to Florida, legit did this. We went on it. We went to Florida multiple times, but we went, took a specific trip to Florida with the kids to literally relive every location we were at when all of the hell hit, when it came to a head so that we could rewrite those memories and make them, make them new because we didn't want the enemy to have that whole spot that was a, was a special place for us. So we ate at the same restaurants and sat in the same booths and ordered the same food and went to the same, you know, houses on the beach and literally set our stuff up on the same spot on the beach and walk down the same places and drink coffee at the same coffee shops, like legit recreated that trip so that the memories that we had, and the memories that the kids had were, were brand new. Right. And so, but yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I don't know. I kind of went off on that, but that was a huge part of it. But the things that we'd have missed now, I mean, if, if we had not had, if we had not pressed in then, well, well, number one, like the biggest thing is we would have only had two kids and we probably wouldn't be together. So I would have two kids that were off somewhere else that someone else was raising for me. And I would have missed out on Evans. Uh, I would have missed out on Witten. We would have missed out on adopting Tate. We would have missed out on the new baby that's coming in July. I mean, that's 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 four, four kids, four human beings, and four giant legacies, and four extra generation pieces that we would not have gotten had we not healed, not to count. I mean, not even to mention like all of the relationships and all of the fruit and all of the opportunity of just connection for Sina. Even if we had never had more kids, it's not like everything's perfect for us. That's not, I don't want to paint that, but it's the side of the fruit of where we are now and how good it is now and how great a relationship is that really is actually centered on Christ and really is growing and fruitful and healthy and whole and safe. Being able to experience that was worth going through hell to get to that. Like, like, for sure, for sure, for sure. Wow. I love, love, oh, so much. I'm actually glad that you went off a little bit, you know, when you were talking about all the things you guys did. I mean, selling your home and going to Florida. One of the things that Cindy mentioned when I talked to her was that, you know, you guys, I guess you guys had a mentor or something that basically challenged you guys with what are you willing to lose in order to save your marriage? You know, are you willing to lose how much money are you willing to put in? How much time are you willing to put in? And you guys went all in. And I think that's a huge, huge deal because, you know, in the counseling world, and I'm also very grateful you said the recovery time being three to five years. In the counseling world, a big thing that we run up into trouble with is people want to schedule one session and then they get mad when they're like, wait, I got to come to the two more than one session. Wait, what? I thought yeah. I thought you were going to fix me in a session. And it's like, no, the healing doesn't work like that. You know, recovery doesn't yeah. work like that. And there's so many layers you're constantly pulling off. So I also just want to highlight that that I, I think played a huge role in you guys coming out on the other side and also love, Absolutely. love, love, love that you said that part of it is that actually that the fighting to heal, not just stay married. Because like you said, a lot right. of people, and again, I really sense in my spirit, there's probably some people listening to this that an affair might have happened a decade ago, but they're still carrying the pain of that because they didn't heal from it. They just kind of moved right. on. And yeah, we're still married. We're still functioning. We're still doing this, but, but uh, they just, they'd never, they'd never fully healed. And so they're missing out on so much more. So thank you for, yeah. for painting that picture for sure. So we're starting to run out of time. I didn't even get into 
the other questions I had for you, but I know it's because God wanted us to hang out here. I think this has been so powerful. When I talked with Cindy, we talked about, um, we did get a little bit into you guys losing Evans. And I think with you, I know you've had another valley that we don't have a whole lot of time to go into today, but you've had some major health stuff, right? Right. So yeah, I'd be I mean, curious. I mean, you don't have to tell that whole story because that is another thing. You can you can maybe hit some highlights if you want. But I'd be curious now that we've heard some of the marriage story and, you know, got a little bit of a bigger picture. You know what? Actually, I'll let you decide what you feel led to share on. If you some of the things that you and Cindy have walked through post recovery from all this, how you feel like the struggles you guys went through in your marriage really equipped you to be able to walk through what you're walking through with some of the other things that you struggled through. You know, I've got a buddy of mine who was a Marine scout sniper for like 11 years. Right. And so he, he did six tours and he was in Iraq and Fallujah and everywhere else. And we, he and I have talked about this a lot, but there's a reason why in the military that you go through basic training and they go through things like they call hell week, you know, in the Navy SEALs, because if they can put you through the hardest things imaginable and build you up, then once you get over into actual hell and other things happen in war and other things, it's not so shocking. And you have a plan of what to do and you have a resiliency. And I don't want to say a hardness, but just a wisdom really is more it of what to do in the moment. Right. And he told this story and I'll relate it to this about. Uh, the first time he ever went into battle in Fallujah, and it relates exactly to this whole point. And he said he was in the back of this truck, and he's going into Fallujah in town, and he's in there with all these guys that have been in, in war for years. And he was one of the new guys. Him and one of the guy were the new ones. And he was top of his class, top of everything, like super athlete, the dude like cream of the crop. And he said all of a sudden bullets started hitting their truck, and there were, there were bombs going off and mortars raining down everywhere, and literal hell hit their truck. And he said he and this other guy did the only thing that a normal human would do. They hit the floor in the back of this truck and stuck their head between their legs because he said he was like, oh, my gosh, like, like, what do we do? And he said and in the moment, all he could hear was the other men in the truck yelling out orders and shooting back. And he said he said then he goes, oh, wait a minute, I'm supposed to shoot back. And he said, I'm supposed to do this. This is my job. This is what I'm trained to do. And training kicked in and he, you know, did his job and served all these tours. Well, Post-marriage, you know, boot camp, if you want to call it that, and marriage hell week and us going through all of that in hell year, um, you know, like we we connected with a lot of really good people and had really good resources and prayed in, again, I'll say that again, some really amazing mentors of people to walk out because we realized, you know, there was no pride left in us as far as marriage went. There was other pride that needed to be beat out, but as far as marriage went, there was no pride left. And so we were like, we need someone to at least teach us to keep brushing our teeth you know what i mean like something and so we really pressed in because after all that you know we were like oh phew there's our one uh dark chapter in the book of our family you know like yay we're good we did our whole thing Woo-hoo! got our little medal this is awesome <laughs> we can run off you know the lord pinned us with the you made it thanks for not giving up pin and we're good to go well then literally two years after you know healing through that you know we have evans who we we're literally like, oh my gosh, we're pregnant. This is our like miracle baby off of this marriage that was in, you know, in total shambles. And then he dies, you know, two hours after birth and we lose him and we have to give him back. And then we really like, that was like, you know, Cindy will say all the time, she's like, you know, I thought that the marriage valley was deep. And then we went through losing Evans and the marriage valley didn't seem like anything. Mm. Uh, because when we went through losing Evans, I mean, especially for her, it was so, I mean, both of us, but 
her being there, and there's a long story on that, and me being in a plane coming back while this is happening, you know, it was just so crazy that we went into this other thing. Well, if we hadn't hadn't gone through all of that, I mean, there's I, I really don't believe that there's any way we would have made it through marriage-wise that amount of grief and that amount of pain. And the I think the statistics on marriages that fail after losing a child are something like 87%. Wow. I think eight, something like eight, 85% plus of the marriages that go through losing a child in a divorce mm. uh, because it is just so stressful. Well, then we make it through that and we're still making it through that and we work through that part and we get, you know, on the other side of that part of the valley. And then in 2017, you know, I shatter my femur and I have a benign tumor in my leg it comes up that, you know, we didn't know it was benign at first and, you know, all this stuff. And that literally immediately takes me out of practice and I'm in a wheelchair for a year. And again, if we hadn't gone through all the marriage stuff, there's no way. I mean, like Cindy was having to take me to the bathroom in a leg immobilizer, you know, a couple of times a day and bring me food in bed. There's no way she would have been equipped emotionally to do that if we hadn't have got to the point in our marriage of it being so stable and healthy because she just wouldn't have wanted to. I mean, who would? And she just wouldn't have had that amount, uh, that level of resolve to do it. But too, I mean, Cindy even says now, she says that the, the valley of that, of this, of what we've gone through and now with chronic pain and everything else is worse than the marriage stuff. But I really think too, it's because hindsight's twenty twenty, and in the middle of your valley, I mean, I'll say the same thing going through in the middle of your valley, it's the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, my valley is, is not any worse or better or different than your valley. It's your valley and your story is your story and it's hard and wherever it is, it's hard. But, you know, the Lord can use it for whatever he needs to use it for if you'll let him. And he can restore it all and give you a whole new story and a whole new testimony and a whole new message to be able to help people with. And everything we want through anything is just an opportunity to be able to pour to somebody else going through the same thing, like this podcast. I mean, like all the things we went through, I mean, that was eight years ago now. But because of the perspective and the care in other people and the amount of work the Lord's done on us and counseling and all the things, I mean, every all the hundreds of books we've read and all the studies, everything comes back to the point of where now when I have a guy come up to me at a men's event and he says, what do I do? I just started having an affair and literally this happens to me frequently. And I go, well, let's talk about it. I could literally look him in the eye and go, I know exactly where you're at and I know why you did it and I know how to get out, Mm. but you just got to do, there's just some things you just got to do. And we can literally walk through fire with other couples. And we have, you know, we've had wives uh, that have stayed at our house who's, Husbands were abusive and cheating on them, and we've housed them and their kids. I mean, there's just so many things that have come out of it that, again, not going through it, you would never get to experience the just the sovereignty and the power of God in that and not get to see, you know, just see his redemption, his redemptive power and the redemption in it. So, wow. You guys are hope bringers. That's what you are. You, when somebody's in that valley, it's like, there's hope. I know what you're going through and, and there is a light at the end yeah. of the tunnel. I also love how you said, uh, you know, valleys, that whatever your valley is, that um, it's your valley, you know, and when you're in it, yeah. that's the worst thing in the world, you know, but then in hindsight, that's 2020. So this has been so powerful. Before we hop off, are there any other resources you'd want to share with people? I know you mentioned the affair recovery. Are there any books that you say have been, were huge for you or anything like that? No. Oh man, so many. I could like, yeah. but I will say like the top ones that come up into my mind, you know, affairrecovery.com is amazing. And that one is, is huge. So really check that out. Any of the marriage today resources, uh, Jimmy and Karen Evans, their stuff is life changing and we've done a lot of work with them. That one is, you know, that's huge. You know, my, uh, my mentor, Larry Titus, uh, he and his wife, uh, Debbie wrote a book called when leaders live together. 
and it's really good about, you know, uh, strong personalities living together and roles and how to work that out. Another book that two other books I'll say one book on relationships by Danny Silk is called Keep Your Love On. And that book is life changing for people who don't know how to create boundaries for themselves or to communicate, period, and, you know, have been taught poorly as most of us were. I mean, most of us had broken marriages based on broken teaching. I mean, it's just, it's a, you know, a replicating condition, but you can change that, you know, as a couple, you can change it. So that book's great. And the last book I'll say for men, because I'm so passionate about men understanding their role, but also knowing that, you know, your role is in, in way more than just making money and having sex. I mean, like you've got so much more at play here. And Tony Evans wrote a book called Kingdom Man that literally I've, I've probably read this book at least seven times, like seven, eight times. And I give it out to guys all the time. And every time I reread it, I'm like, man, you're so right. And it re-pumps me up and re-gets me back in the word on where my where I am in the authority structure that God has laid out in my family and my calling uh, to cover City of the Kids and to literally lead them in the best version of themselves possible. And that book is is ultimately life-changing for men. And so I would say that. Um, and then the only other thing I can think of is love and respect for marriages. It is the most frustrating and annoying book to read, <laughs> I think, for marriages because it's so simple. You're like, this is stupid. It can't be this simple. And it really is. I mean, it really is that simple if we could just get those concepts down, you know, to talk to each other, right? Yeah. You know, it's funny, two of the books you mentioned, Love and Respect and Keep Your Love On, um, were, were required readings for one of my grad school classes. So, there, <laughs> so you know you they're go. good. You know they're they good. They were required readings for me too, but not in grad school. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Should have been. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. So before we hop off, I know you mentioned your website. They can find you there. Where else can people connect to you online if they're like, oh my gosh, I want to I want to follow everything this guy's doing? <laughs> well, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I do more stuff on Instagram and do stuff on there now, but you can find me and it's just Dr. Jim Bob on both of those. And I can connect with me on that. Perfect. Yeah. And we'll put those in the show links as well. So thank you, Jim Bob, for coming on. Um, this so welcome. Thanks this for having me. This is going to bless so many people. I'm excited to get it out there. So <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'm glad to be out. I appreciate it so much. Jim Bob and Cindy are such an inspiration, and I'm grateful for their heart to share their story to help encourage others who may be walking through a marital valley. Hey, I want to say a special thank you to Loved and Blessed. They've been a huge supporter of this show since day one. And if you're able, please visit their website and find a box to give to someone who could use some encouragement in their mailbox. Just head to lovedandblessed.com to shop. Don't forget to be entered to win free goodies. Just text the phrase Real Talk Giveaway, that's all one word, to the number 44222 on your cell phone. I randomly select winners for the guest books, and just by being on that list, you are entered to win. All right, friends, that's all that we have for today. I pray this episode brought you one step closer to getting real, living free, and pursuing those God given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.